positive heads out there thanks for tuning your beautiful brainwaves into another episode of the positive head podcast where we are firmly convinced that creating success and happiness is rooted in understanding the ultimate nature of reality and the fact that as human beings we are all immensely powerful fractals of the one and only source consciousness which creates and animates all things now of course understanding this powerful truth is one thing Applying this incredibly empowering wisdom to everyday life? Well, that's another. Which is exactly why we provide you with a fresh serving of soul food for thought five days a week to help constantly remind you of what matters most. You are it. And I'm your host, Brandon Beecham. I'm the reflection and extension of you who will be here each Wednesday interviewing a different consciousness changemaker and on the other four weekdays, leading the way to ensure that your perspective is consistently expanded, your vibration is constantly elevated, and your heart is overflowing and full. Also, before we jump into today's episode, I'd like to take a moment to tell you about a few sponsors that not only help to make it possible to produce this show five days a week, but that I'm also genuinely passionate about promoting especially since they're helping to fund all the cool projects we have in the works, such as the Positive Head app, the docuseries that I'm intending to begin shooting within the next year, and whatever else we dream up over here at Positive Headquarters to help spread consciousness across the planet. Now, if you're short on time or just super excited for today's topic and want to dive right in and skip these ads, feel free to fast forward about four minutes to get right into today's show. That being said, I strongly encourage you to listen because the reason I'm passionate about my sponsors is because they've made a huge impact in my own life, which is why I've aligned with these organizations. And I firmly believe they can do the same for you too. The first longtime stellar supporter of this show that I want to mention is Gaia. If you're not familiar, Gaia is the go-to source for streaming consciousness content online with over 8,000 video titles. And you can sign up for your first month for only 99 cents at Gaia.com forward slash positive head. That's spelled G-A-I-A dot com forward slash positive head. The second sponsor I'm extremely passionate about promoting is Purium. It's no mystery that bringing your mind, body and spirit into balance is necessary if a person truly intends to manifest the greatest and grandest version of themselves. And as of recording this, it's been about mm, four months since I started taking the Purium Core 4 Superfood products every day. And I can honestly and sincerely say my mind, body, and spirit have never felt more in alignment. If you've been looking for a way to easily get superfoods into your system every day with a simple plan that can help you reestablish a healthier foundation and relationship with food, I cannot recommend for you to start with the Purium 40-Day Ultimate Nutrition Plan, which includes a 10-day metabolic reset and cleanse enough. I spent personally months researching Purium before I jumped in, and now myself and over 150 other positive heads have started with the 40-Day Ultimate Nutrition Plan, and many of us have continued taking the Core 4 products on an ongoing basis daily ever since. 
I personally intend to take them for the rest of my life because they played a huge role transforming my vibrational state. If you decide to do it, it'll cost you just over $7 a day for the first 40 days and only about $5 a day after. But if you do it the way that I recommend you to do it, the smartest and most beneficial way, it won't cost you anything. I recommend you to just look at where you can reallocate money you are already spending on food each day. Essentially, you're just going to swap out the unhealthiest stuff you're in the habit of purchasing in exchange for Purium Superfoods. And this way, it costs you nothing to participate in the transformation and cleanse. And it creates exponential benefit because now you've replaced something that lowers your vibration with something that is going to make you feel super high in the healthiest kind of way. Just take a few minutes, see where you can cut out five to seven dollars a day and commit to doing it. It's that simple. Also for support, we'll be doing a big group transformation with other positive heads and soul family once each month for support. So I recommend, you know, going right now, ordering your 40 day ultimate nutrition plan bundle so that you have it when the next group transformation starts. Procrastination is not your friend. Order it now. You can thank me later because I can assure you, you will not be sorry you've decided to send a message to the universe that you're ready to step up your vibrational game and reclaim your health sovereignty. Just head over to ishoppurium.com. That's spelled I-S-H-O-P-P-U-R-I-U-M.com. Be sure to use the code POSITIVEHEAD, all one word, for either $50 off or a 25% discount, whichever is greater. And also, if you want to learn more details about the Purium products, why I'm so passionate about promoting them beforehand, you can go check out several videos I shot discussing these things in greater detail. You can also hear my interview with the very inspiring founder, David Sandoval, much, much more over at positivehead.com forward slash transformation. All right, all you positive heads, welcome, welcome. It is a terrific Tuesday here in the studio as I record this broadcast that will exist throughout eternity. Isn't it weird to think about like a million earth years from now, this could be around and people listen to it because we can't go back. Obviously, they didn't have recording devices or if they did, it's so far back, we've lost all those recordings. But imagine like all the audio, video, pictures, things that we know of in quote-unquote modern history imagine that stuff a million years from now how weird it'll be imagine someone tuning in a million earth years from now who happens to stumble on this this particular podcast synchronistically they found this archaic like broadcast from some guy named brandon beecham some weirdo out there (laughs) in the distant distant past and they maybe realized they were related or something and like oh what was this person all about my great 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 times a hundred grandfather times a thousand probably i don't know you do the math but um yeah wouldn't that be a trip and then they choose a random episode so they come up with this archive and this is the one where i reference um, um, you know, them hearing it. What is that's the synchronicity of all synchronicities. That's the magic of all magic. Ugh, but I digress. Okay, let's get into today's episode. You guys got to go on my wild ride sometimes. You're used to it by now. If you've been listening a while, 
Yeah, these things fascinate me. But um, anywho, let's see. Today, what are we going to do? Um, well, if it is a million, someone is listening to this a million years in the past, I'm going to read about what I experienced or what it's like on the other side after I left 3D uh, from a book called Journey of Souls by Michael Newton, PhD. Dr. Michael, who actually has uh, crossed into the infinite beyond the beyond. He had passed away some time ago, but this book, um, you guys have heard me talking about it a little bit, had a cool synchronicity a couple days ago with it, with my friend Shelby reading it at the same time and commenting and it's sitting on my nightstand. And, uh, then I had a, yeah, cool, like contact, I feel like from someone beyond the veil. So anyway, what this book is, is it's a Michael Newton was a, a doctor who was a traditional therapy counselor, psychologist. Uh, he, did, he used hypnotherapy, but very traditionally. And he wasn't into doing like weird past life stuff or anything like that. And then it, something spontaneously came up with someone experiencing pain, uh, past life related. So he finally, he was like so intrigued by it. He was like, wow, what is this? And he started kind of exploring. And that led him not only into past life regression, but it led him into what souls were experiences, experiencing after they leave the body. And okay, what's happening next? And he, he's very methodical in his approach to gathering information uh, while people are in a state of hypnosis. And, you know, I was talking about this the other day. And of course, we don't have any way to verify, you know, if any of these accounts of what happens in you know this this book journey of souls is called case studies case studies of life between lives and we don't have any real way to verify a lot of the stuff but what i find really intriguing and interesting is people who've done past life regression to heal trauma or pains that people are having unexplained illnesses or you know all of a sudden they've got a horrible pain in their side no doctor can figure out what it is and then under uh, hypnosis they end up being regressed to a past life where they were stabbed in the side and they relive and release that energetic blockage and all of a sudden miraculously what no doctor could fix um, this past life regression has fixed and, and there's a lot there's um, uh, a bunch of books out there on that Brian Weiss I believe did did one um, I'm forgetting the name off the top of my head but um, this is something that has been well documented people being healed through this process so I love that because it really lends to the credit lends credibility in my opinion to um, you know this work you know it's like okay well if it's working when people are regressed for past lives uh, obviously, there's an in-between stage if there's a past life. So this, why you know, why would this not be accurate or legitimate? Um, and in some of those cases, they're able to verify the names and things, especially in, you know if they're it's a past life from like recent history. You know, within the last couple hundred years, they can actually find the person who the person claimed to be, and it's pretty fascinating stuff. Really, really fascinating stuff to me. Some of the most fascinating. And I actually talked to um, Eben Alexander in episode 81. If you go way back in the archives, uh, you can listen to his experience of going into a coma, you know, his brain being destroyed with meningitis and, and seeing and learning how soul families and soul groups and all these things work on the other side. And then he came back, you know, miraculously, they, they, he tells the story in episode 81. But, you know, they said, pull the plug, his brain is fried. And then he came back and he had all this insight into how things are structured on the other side. So a lot of that same information in stories and de even more details are in this book journey of souls so i'm going to actually read a random um 
case uh case 21 from the book journey of souls and uh yeah just kind of explore this fascinating idea together and uh yeah i think i'm gonna just dive right in this is journey of souls by michael newton um phd a case study of life between lives this is case 21 so um let's see here it goes back and forth uh between the subject the person who has just died and dr newton and so what i'll do because it's sort of like goes back and forth between you know in the book it'll have dr n and then it'll have you know the person and then dr n and so i'll just say doctor every time it's um the doctor speaking and that way you'll know all right here we go case 21 In the case which follows, my client has finished reliving his past life as a Dutch artist living in Amsterdam. He died of pneumonia at a young age in 1841, about the time he was gaining recognition for his painting. We have just rejoined his spiritual group when my subject burst out laughing. So keep in mind, this is a guy, you know, I don't know, this is probably in the last 20 or 30 years, so he's someone else now. He's been past life regressed to 1841. Uh, They saw that he died of pneumonia. So now what um, the doctor, uh, Dr. N is about to do, Dr. Newton is about to um, say, okay, you you died, you died in Amsterdam, 1841. Now what, right? And we're going to explore what he experienced as soon as he crossed. Dr. N, why are you laughing? I'm back with my friends and they are giving me a hard time. Why? Because I'm wearing my fancy buckled shoes and the bright green velvet jacket with yellow piping down the sides. I'm flashing them my big floppy painter's hat. Doctor, they are kidding you about projecting yourself wearing these clothes? You know it. I was so vain about clothes and I cut a really fine figure as an artist in Amsterdam Cafe Society. I enjoyed this role and played it well. I don't want it to end. Doctor, what happens next? My old friends are around me, and we are talking about the foolishness of life. We rib each other about how dramatic it all is down there on earth and how seriously we all take our lives. Doctor, you and your friends don't think it's important to take life on earth seriously? Look, earth is one big stage play. We all know that. Doctor, and your group is united in this feeling? Sure, we see ourselves as actors in a gigantic stage production. Doctor, how many entities are in your particular cluster group in the spirit world? Well, we work with some others, but there are five of us who are close. Doctor, by what names do they call you? Let me, no, that's not right. It's Alum, Alum, that's me. Doctor, all right, Alum, tell me about your close friends. Norcross, he is the funniest. At least he is the most boisterous. Doctor, is Norcross the leader of your group? No, he is just the loudest. We're all equal here, but we have our differences. Norcross is blunt and opinionated. Doctor, really, then how would you characterize his earth behavior? Oh, as being rather unscrupulous, but not dangerous. Okay, pause. I think I'm going to stop saying doctor. I think I'm going to just try and pause it and shift my voice so you can tell when I'm going uh, between two people because I'm annoying myself saying doctor, so I got to imagine it's annoying you too. Doctor. Okay, here we go. Um, (laughs) One last one. Doctor, who is the quietest and most unassuming member of your group? How did you guess? It's Velo. Does this attribute make Velo the least effective contributing member of your group? Where did you get that idea? Velo comes up with some interesting thoughts about the rest of us. Give me an example. 
In my life in Holland, the old Dutch couple who adopted me after my parents died, they had a beautiful garden. Vilo reminded me of my debt to them, that the garden triggered my painting to see life as an artist and what I didn't do with my talent. Does Vilo convey any other thoughts to you about this? Sadly, that I should have done less drinking and strutting around and painting more. That my art was reaching the point of touching people. Subject pulls his shoulders back. But I wasn't going to stay cooped up painting all the time. Do you have respect for Vilo's opinions? With a deep sigh. Yes, we know he is our conscience. So what do you say to him? I say, innkeeper, mind your own business. You were having fun too. Vilo was an innkeeper? Yes, in Holland. Engaged in a business for profit, I might add. Do you feel this was wrong of Vilo? No, not really. We all know he took losses to help those poor people on the road who needed food and shelter. His life was beneficial to others. I would guess telepathic communications make it hard to sustain your arguments when the complete truth is known by everyone. Yes, we all know Vilo is progressing. Damn. Does it bother you that Vilo may be advancing faster than the rest of you? Yes, we have had such fun. Subject then recalls an earlier life with Vilo where they traveled together as brothers in India. What will happen to Vilo? He is going to leave us soon. We all know that. To have associations with the others who have also gone. How many souls have left your original group, Alam? Oh, a couple have moved on. We will eventually catch up to them, but not for a while. They haven't disappeared. We just don't see their energy as much. Name the others of your immediate group for me besides Velo and Norcross. Dubri and Trinian. Now those two know how to have a good time. What is the most obvious identifying characteristic of your group? Adventure. Excitement. We have some real pioneer types around here. Dubri just came off a wild life as a sea captain. Norcross was a freewheeling trading merchant. We live life to its fullest because we are talented at taking what life has to offer. I'm hearing a lot of self-gratification here, Alum. By the way, let me just add, uh, I forgot to mention, this is an example of a beginner soul. Um, there's others, so I'll probably read it some other time, but I forgot to mention that. So these are sort of like younger souls um, that we're talking about here in this group. I'm hearing a lot of self-gratification here, Alum. And what's wrong with that? Our group is not made up of shrinking violets, you know. What's the story on Trinian's last life? He was a bishop. Can you believe it? What hypocrisy. In what way? What self-deception. Norcross, Dubrai, and I tell Trinian his choice to be a churchman had nothing to do with goodness, charity, or spirituality. And what does Trinian's soul mentally project to you in self-defense? He tells us he gave solace to many people. What do you, Norcross, and Dubrai tell him in response? That he is going soft. Norcross tells him he wanted money, or otherwise, he would have been a simple priest. Ha, that's telling him, and I'm saying the same thing. You can guess what Dubrai thinks about all this. No, tell me. Hmm, that Trinian picked a large city with a rich cathedral, spilling a ton of money into Trinian's fat pockets. And what do you tell Trinian yourself? Oh, I'm attracted to the fancy robes he wore, bright red, the finest of cloth, his bishop's ring, which he loved, and all the gold and silver, silver around. I also mention his desire to bask in undul- adulation from his flock. Trinian can hide nothing from us. He wanted an easy, cushy life where he was well fed. 
Does he try to explain his motivations for choosing this life? Yes, but Norcross reproaches him. He confronts Trinian on seducing a young girl in the vestry. Yes, it actually happened. So much for providing solace to parishioners. We know Trinian for who he really is, an outright rogue. Does Trinian offer any excuse to the group for his conduct? Oh, the usual. He got carried away with the girl's need for him. She had no family. He was lonely in his choice of a celibate church life. He says he was trying to get away from the customary lives we all choose by going into the church. Then he fell in love with the girl. And how do you, Norcross, and Dubrai feel about Trinian now? We think he's trying to follow Velo as an advancing soul, but he failed. His pious intentions just didn't work for him. Alum, you sound rather cynical about Trinian's attempts to improve himself and make changes. Tell me honestly, how do you feel about Trinian? Oh, we are just teasing him, after all. Your amusement sounds as if you are scornful over what may have been Trinian's good intentions. You're right. And we all know that. But you see, Norcross, Dubrai, and I, well, we don't want to lose him from the group, too. What does Velo say about Trinian? He defends Trinian's original good intentions and tells him that he fell into a trap of self-gratification during his life, this life in the church. Trinian wants too much admiration and attention. Forgive me for passing judgment on your group, Alum, but it seems to me this is something you all want, except perhaps Velo. Hey, Velo can be pretty smug. Let me tell you, his problem is conceit, and Dubrai tells him that in no uncertain terms. And does Velo deny it? No, he doesn't. He says at least he is working on it. Who among you is the most sensitive to criticism? Oh, I guess it would be Norcross, but it's hard for all of us to accept our faults. Level with me, Alum. Does it bother the members of your soul group when things can't be hidden from the others, when all your shortcomings in a past life are revealed? We are sensitive about it, but not morbid. There's great understanding here among us. I wanted to give artistic pleasure to people and grow through the meaning of art. So what did I do? I ran around the Amsterdam canals a lot at night and got caught up in the fun and games. My original purpose was pushed aside. If you admit all this to the group, what kind of feedback do you get? For example, how do you and Norcross regard each other? Norcross often points out I hate to take responsibility for myself and others. With Norcross, it's wealth. He loves power, but we are both selfish, except that I am more vain. Neither of us gets many gold stars. How does Dubrai fit into your group with his faults? He enjoys controlling others by leadership. He is an unnatural leader, more than the rest of us. He was a sea captain, a pirate, one tough individual. You wouldn't want to cross him. Was he cruel? No, just hard. He was respected as a captain. Dubrai was merciless against his opponents in sea battles, but he took care of his own men. You have told me that Velo assisted people who were in need on the road, but you haven't said much about the positive side of your lives. Is anyone in your group giving any gold stars for unselfish acts? There is something else about Dubrai. What is that? He did an outstanding thing. Once during heavy seas, a sailor fell off the mast in the ocean and was drowning. Debray tied a line around his waist and dove off the deck. He risked his life and saved a shipmate. When the incident is discussed in your group, how do you all respond to Debray? We praise him for what he did with admiration in our minds. We came to the same conclusion that none of us could match this single act of courage in our last lives. I see. Yet, Bilo's life at the end feeding and housing people who could not pay him, may represent acts of unselfishness for a longer term and therefore is more praiseworthy? Granted, and we give him that, 
He gets more gold stars than Dubrai. Do you get any strokes from the group for your last life? I had to scramble for patrons to survive as a painter, but I was good to people. It wasn't much. I enjoyed giving pleasure. My group recognizes I had a good heart. Every one of my clients has special attachments to their soul group. Now it's just the doctor talking for a minute. Regardless of character makeup, people tend to think of souls in the free state as being without human deficiencies. Actually, I think there are many similarities between groups of souls close to each other and human family systems. For instance, I see Norcross as a rebellious scapegoat for this group of souls, while he and Alum are the inventory takers for everyone's shortcomings. Alum said Norcross is usually the first to openly scrutinize and any rationalizations or self-serving justifications of past life failures offered by the other members. He appears to have the least self-doubt and emotional investment over standards of conduct. This may define his own insecurity because Norcross is probably fighting the hardest to keep up with the advancing group. I suspect Alum himself could be the group's mascot, often the youngest child in human families, with all his clowning around, preening, and making light of serious issues. Some souls in spiritual groups do seem to me to be more fragile and protected than other group members. Velo's conduct demonstrates he is the current hero, or eldest family member, with his drive for excellence. I have the impression from Alum that Velo is the least defiant of the group, partly because he has the best record of achievement in recent past lives. Just as human family systems, the roles of spiritual group members can be switched around, but I was told Velo's kinetic energy is turning pink, signaling his growth into level two. I attach human labels on ethereal spirits because, after all, souls who come to Earth do show themselves through human characteristics. However, I don't see hatred, suspicion, and disrespect in soul groups. In a climate of compassion, there are no power struggles for control among these peer groups whose members are unable to manipulate each other or keep secrets. Souls distress themselves, not each other. I do see fortitude, desire, and the will to keep trying in their new physical lives. In an effort to confirm some of my observations about the social dynamics among spiritual group members, in this case, I ask Alum a few more questions. Alum, do you believe your criticism of each other is always constructive? Sure, there is no real hostility. We have fun at each other's expense. I admit that, but it's just a form of acknowledgement of who we really are and where we should be going. And is any member of your soul group ever made to feel shame or guilt about a past life? Those are human weapons and too narrow for what we feel. Well, let me approach your feelings as a soul in another way. Do you feel safer getting feedback from one of your group members more than another? No, I don't. We all respect each other immensely. The greatest criticism comes from within ourselves. Do you have any regrets for your conduct in any past life? Yes, I feel sorry if I have hurt someone. And then have everyone here know all about my mistakes. But we learn. And what do you do about this knowledge? Talk among ourselves and try to make amends the next time. From what you told me earlier, I had the idea that you, Norcross, and Dubrai might be releasing some pinup feelings over your own shortcomings by dumping on each other. We make cynical remarks, but it's not like being human anymore. Without our bodies, we take criticism a little differently. We see each other for who we are without resentment or jealousy. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I just wondered if all the flamboyance exhibited by your group might indica- indicate underlying feelings of unworthiness. Oh, that's something else again. Yes, we do get discouraged as souls and feel unworthy about our abilities to meet the confidence placed in us to improve. So while you have self-doubts about yourself, it's okay to make cynical remarks about each other's motivations. 
Of course, but we want to be recognized by one another for being sincere and working on our individual programs. Sometimes self-pride gets in the way, and we use each other to move past this. In the next passage of dialogue, I introduce another spiritual phenomenon relating to the group healing, to group healing. I've heard a number of variations about this activity, which are supported by the interpretations of this case. 21. Now, Elam, as long as we are discussing how your group members relate to each other, I want you to describe the spiritual energy by which you are all assisted in this process. I'm not sure I can tell you. Think carefully. Is there another means by which your group is brought into harmony with each other with intelligent energy? Ah, you mean from the cones? The word cone is new to me, but I know I'm on the right track. Yes, the cones. Explain what you know about them relative to your group. Well, the cones do assist us. Please continue and tell me what the cone does. I think I've heard about this before, but I want your version. It's shaped to go around us, you know. Shaped in what way? Try to be more explicit. It is cylindrical, very bright. It is above and all around us. The cone is small at the top and wide at the bottom, so it fits over all of us, like getting under a great white cap. We can float under the cone in order to use it. Are you sure this isn't the shower of healing you experienced right after your return to the spirit world? Oh no, that was more individual purification to repair earth damage. I thought you knew. I do. I want you to explain how the cone is different from the shower of healing. The top funnels energy... The top funnels energy down as a waterfall in a spreading circle around all of us and allows us to really concentrate on our mental sameness as a group. And what do you feel when you are under the cone? We can feel all our thoughts being expanded, then drawn up and returned back, with more knowledge added. Does this intelligent energy help you your unity as a group in terms of more focused thinking? Yes, it does. To be frank with you, Elam, I wonder if this cone is brainwashing your original thoughts. After all, the arguments and disagreements between you and the others of your group are what make you individuals. We aren't brainwashed. Don't you know anything about the afterlife? It gives us more collective insight to work together. Is the cone always available? It is there when we need it. Who operates the cone? Those who watch over us. Your guide? Chateau? I think he is too busy traveling around on his circuit. What do you mean? We think of him as a circuit master, a stage manager of our group. Does Chateau take an active part in your group deliberations? Not really. Guides are above a lot of that stuff. We are left on our own quite a bit, and that's fine. Do you think there's one specific reason for the absence of Chateau? Oh, he probably gets bored with our lack of progress. He loves to show off as, as the master of ceremonies, though. In what way? Oh, to suddenly appear in front of us during one of our heated debates, throwing off blue sparks, looking like a wizard who is an all-powerful moderator. A wizard? Chateau appears in long sapphire blue robes with a tall pointed hat. With his flowing white beard, he looks simply great, and we do admire him. I get the picture, picture of a spiritual Merlin. An oriental Merlin, if you will. Very inscrutable sometimes. He loves making a grand entrance in full costume, especially when we are about to choose another life. He knows how much we appreciate his act. With all the stage man management, I'm curious if Chateau has much emotional connection to your group as a serious guide. Listen, he knows we are a wild bunch, and he plays to that as a non-conformist himself, but he is also very wise. Is Chateau indulgent with your group? He doesn't seem to limit your extravagance very much. Chateau gets results from us because he is not heavy-handed or preachy. That wouldn't sit well with our people. We respect him. Do you see Chateau as a consultant who comes only once in a while to observe or as an active supervisor? 
He will pop in unannounced to set up a problem for our discussions. Then he leaves, coming back later to listen how we might solve certain things. Give me an example of a major problem with your group. Chateau knows we identify too much as actors playing parts on Earth. He hits on superficiality. He is trying to get us to cast ourselves from the inside out rather than the reverse. So Chateau's instruction is serious, but he knows you all like to have fun along the way. Yeah, that's why Chateau is with us, I think. He knows we waste opportunities. He assists us in interpreting the predicaments we get into in order to get the best out of us. From what you have told me, I have the impression that your spiritual group is run as kind of a workshop directed by your guide. Yes, he builds up our morale and keeps us going. Unlike educational classrooms or therapy groups on earth, I have learned teacher counselors in the spirit world are not confined as group activity leaders on a continuous basis. Although Chateau and his students are a colorful family of souls, there is much here that is typical of all cluster groups. A guide's leadership is more parental than dictatorial. In this case, Chateau is a directive counselor while not being possessive, nor does he pose a threat to the group. There is a warm acceptance of these young souls by this empathic guide who seems to cater to their masculine inclinations. I will close this case with a few final questions about the group as a spiritual unit. Why is your group so male-oriented on Earth? Earth is an action planet which rewards physical exertion. We are inclined to male roles so we can grab hold and mold events, to dominate our surroundings, to be recognized. Women are also influential in society. How can your group hope to progress without more experience in female roles? We know this, but we have such a fierce desire to be independent. In fact, we often expend too much energy for too little return, but the female aspects don't interest us as much right now. If you have no female counterparts in your immediate group, where do you go for those entities to complement your lives on Earth? Nearby, there are some who relate better to female roles. I get along with Josie. She has been with me in some of my lives. Trinian is attached to Nyala, and there are others. Alam, I would like to end our conversation with your spiritual associates by asking you what you know about the origin of your group. I, I can't tell you. We just came together at one time. Well, someone had to bring those of you with the same attributes together. Do you think it was God? No, below the source, the higher ones. Chateau or other guides like him? No, higher, I think. The planners. I don't know anymore. A while back, you told me some of your old friends were reducing their active participation in your group due to their development. Do you ever get new members? Never. Is this because a new member might have trouble assimilating with the rest of you? We aren't that bad. It's just we are too closely connected by thought for an outsider, and they would not have shared our past experiences. During your discussions about these past lives together, together, does your group believe it contributes to the betterment of human society? We want our presence in a community to challenge conventions, to question basic assumptions. I think we bring nerve into our physical lives, and laughter too. And when your spiritual group has finished discussing what is necessary to further your aims, do you look forward to a new life? Oh yeah, every time I leave for a new role on earth, I say goodbye with a see you all back here AD after death. This case is an example of like-minded souls with ego-inflating needs who support and validate each other's feelings and attitudes. Herein lies the key to understanding the formation of soul groups. I have learned that many spiritual clusters have subgroups made up of entities whose identities are linked by similar issues blocking their advancement. Even so, these souls do have differences in strengths and weaknesses. Each group member contributes their best attributes toward advancing the goals of others in the family. I do not want to leave the impression from case 21 that the few remaining souls in this inner circle of close friends represent the behavior traits of everyone in the original cluster. 
When a primary group of, say, 15 or 20 souls is formed, there are marked similarities in talents and interest. But a support group is also designed to have differences in disposition, feelings, and reactions. Typically, my subjects report a male-female-oriented mixture of one or more of the following character types in the groups. 1. Courageous, resilient, a tenacious survivor. 2. Gentle, quiet, devoted, and rather innocent. 3. Fun-loving, humorous, a jokester, and a risk-taker. 4. Serious, dependable, cautious. 5. Flamboyant, enthusiastic, frank. 6. Patient, steady, perceptive. 7. Thoughtful, calculating, determined. 8. Innovative, resourceful, adaptable. These differences give a group balance. However, if an entire group displays a strong tendency toward flamboyance or daring, the most cautious member would appear less so to, to another group of souls. There is no question that the souls in Case 21 are in for a long development period, yet they do contribute to the vitality of Earth. Subsequent questioning of the subject revealed the paths of these souls continue to cross in the 20th century. For instance, Alum is a graphic designer and part-time professional guitar player involved with Josie, who is a singer. The fact that the closely knit souls in this case were so male-oriented in their physical lives does not take away from their ability to associate with young souls with predominantly female preferences. Cluster groups are gender-mixed. As I have mentioned, truly advanced souls have balanced gender preferences in their physical life choices. The desire for expression of self-identity is an important motivating factor for souls choosing to come to Earth to learn practical lessons. Sometimes a reason for discomfort with the lower level soul is a discrepancy in perception of self in their free soul state compared to how they act in human bodies. Souls can get confused with who they are in life. Case 21 did not seem to exhibit any conflict in this area, but I question the rate of growth achieved by Alum in recent past lives. However, the basic experiences of living a life may compensate, to some extent, for the lack of insight gained from that life. Our shortcomings and moral conflicts are recognized as faults, far more in the spirit world than on earth. We have seen how the nuances of decision-making are dissected and analyzed in spiritual groups. Cluster members have worked together for such a long time in earth years that entities become accountable to each other and the group as a whole. This fosters a great sense of belonging in all spiritual groups and can give the appearance of thought barriers between clusters, especially with souls in the lower levels. Nevertheless, while rejection and loneliness is part of every soul's life in human form, in the spirit world, our individual ego identity is constantly enhanced by warm peer group socializations. The social structure of soul groups is not the same as groups of people on earth. Although, there is some evidence of paired friendships. I don't hear about cliques, stars of attraction, or isolated souls within clusters. I am told souls do spend time alone in the silence of personal reflection when attached to a group. Souls are intimate entities in their family relationships on Earth and engagement in group community life in the spirit world. And yet, souls do learn much from solitude. I understand from my white light subjects that souls at the beginning levels are frequently separated from their groups to individually work on simple energy projects. One rather young soul recalled being alone in an enclosure trying to put together a moving puzzle of dissembled geometric shapes of cylinders, spheres, cubes, and squares with self-produced energy. It was described as being multidimensional, colorful, and holographic in nature. He said, we have to learn to intensify our energy to bring the diffused and jumbled into focus to give it some kind of basic shape. Another subject added, these tests give the watchers information about our imagination, creativity, and ingenuity, and they offer us encouragement rather than being judgmental. 
Souls on all levels engage in another important activity when they are alone. They are expected to spend time mentally concentrating on helping those on Earth or other physical worlds whom they have known and cared about. From what I can gather, they go to a space some call the place of protection. Here they enter an interdimensional field of floating silvery blue energy and project outward to geographical areas of their choosing. I'm told this is a mental exercise in holding and releasing positive vibrational energy to create a territory. This means souls ride on their thought waves to specific people, buildings, or a given area of land in an attempt to comfort or affect change. Wow. All right. So there you have it. That's the beginner soul group. Pretty fun, huh? Pretty fascinating and insightful, I would say. Hope you all enjoyed it. I definitely did. We'll have to come back and read some others sometimes. If you guys enjoyed that one, let me know. Um, There's other things I could read too, but I feel like that's pretty fun. I'm curious to see what the intermediate and advanced souls, soul groups interact like. All right. Well, that's it for today. I'm going to leave you with a song. This is Calia Centilla. The song is Lion Eyes. Seemed like a multidimensional journeying type of song. So, yeah, here it is. Lion Eyes. Hope you enjoy. Till next time, journey well. Also, if you're craving more consciousness elevating content, be sure to check out Gaia, which is my personal go-to source for streaming consciousness content on the web, where you can stream an incredible 7,000 plus exclusive videos covering 5,000 years of wisdom. As you all hear me constantly say, it's a daily conscious effort to maintain an elevated vibration. And if you're looking to journey deep down the rabbit hole to do so, then Gaia is the best place I know of to do it, period. And you can sign up for your first month for only 99 cents at Gaia.com forward slash positive head. That's spelled G-A-I-A dot com forward slash positive head. Check it out.